0: All right, welcome back to the Baseball America Dynasty show. This is your host, Jeff Ponce. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Eddy. This week, we have our first guest. Of course, it's the second podcast, but we have our first guest on the show. Uh, Welcome a good friend of mine, one of the standouts of the dynasty and uh, fantasy prospect ranking industry. It's James Anderson of Rotowire. James, welcome to the show. How are you, man?
1: I'm good, guys. Uh, good to be on with both of you. Uh, this, will be, this will be
0: fun. Yeah, man. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, to jump into this with you. Welcome on to the show. You've had me on your show many times. I know we've spoke a million times, played in a ton of leagues together. But for those out there that are listening that are less familiar with you and your work, James, why don't you give us sort of your background, how you got into this, and what you do over at RotoWire?
1: wire Yeah, I... Uh... I have a journalism degree and I've been like working at Rotowire in some capacity for about a decade. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, I kind of started on there just kind of doing a bunch of different stuff and I got really into, I've been playing fantasy baseball since uh, my sophomore year of college, but uh, about eight years ago or so, I just, I started getting really into uh, prospects, And I started kind of just writing up notes on prospects for the site uh, sort of on my own and uh, kind of parlayed that into being our our main prospect guy and then eventually got hired full-time. And so I've been doing the uh, prospect rankings at the site for about seven years. Uh, It started off as like a top 200. Uh, I think it's been a top 400 for about five or six years now. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's been a blast. I, I love, love doing what I do. I'm really lucky to to be able to do it as, as my job. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's really fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can appreciate that. And uh, you know, I know that you play in a variety of leagues. You play in the devil's rejects league with um, Matt, Eddie, and myself and uh, Matt, I'm gonna kick it over to you. We're starting out with the Devil's Rejects uh, throwback uh, draft here. I know you picked pretty high. Weren't able to reacquire Brock Wilkin, who you threw back into the pool. (laughs) What are your What are your big takeaways so far in (laughs) in this in this throwback draft this year? Yeah, this draft is crazy. I I had a terrible
2: team last year, and still, am picking just seventh out of twenty, I let a number of prospects go who. I would like to reacquire and, and the one I did reacquire was Colton Montgomery of the white Sox. I was, I was hoping Jay Allen would fall to number seven overall, but that didn't happen. And as you, you noted Brock Wilkin, the wake, uh, wake forest third
0: baseman, he didn't make it back to me either, but you know, that's okay. I, I put in the call too, man. I, I called Wilkin last weekend. And I was like, Brock, you got to get your K rate up to 30%. So that way, uh, Matt Eddie can reacquire you in the devil's rejects. And he said, bro, I got you. No problem. Um, one, of the, <laughs> one of the reasons I brought that up, though, is um, James has made an announcement last week regarding a uh, another dynasty league that he's uh, heading up and putting together right now with uh, Ian Kahn, another friend of the show, um, with The Athletic, does great dynasty work. You know, one of the better players that I've played with over the years. Also, uh, Jesse Roach from Baseball Perspective, another tremendous player. And then Brett St- uh, Sarah from uh, Baseball Perspectives. The name of the league I love. It's the Highlander Dynasty League, which brings me back to like being 13 years old and going to a uh, blockbuster video and randomly renting like movies like the Highlander. So uh, James, why don't you fill us in a little bit there? Because I thought it was a really interesting setup in terms of like how keepers were handled and some of that stuff, which might be a little different from what our listeners are typically used to.
1: Yeah, this was uh, kind of a, brainchild of uh, Brett Sayers. Uh, he he and I both have experience uh commissioning uh quote unquote expert dynasty leagues and uh we've kind of been frustrated by uh how difficult it is to sort of keep those leagues sustainable because um you know the way that dynasty is played If you don't have a full league of smart, competitive managers, things can quickly tilt in the direction of a handful of teams. Uh, Managers often end up kind of losing interest, especially when there's not um, a financial commitment involved. So these leagues that that we've been in where, you know, it's just for pride, you know, kind of like a dynasty version of like a Tout Wars or Later that those types of industry leagues have been around for a long time. Um, The leagues that are just for pride when it's just, when it's dynasty, uh, in my experience, those tend to kind of fail or end up being uh, pretty lopsided leagues after three or four years. And a lot of people that produce dynasty content aren't actually good dynasty players necessarily. Um you know you anyone can produce the content right like um it's it's a different thing to be uh, actually good at at playing the game and so uh what we did was uh and this was this was really all brett um he he kind of had all these cool ideas for uh just mechanisms in the Constitution that uh make it very difficult for any team to really separate themselves over the span of, like, three or four years. Uh, obviously, you could still put together a, a team that's going to be very competitive for a while, but um, there are just all these sort of it, – it's kind of a waterfall-keeper structure is the way that he describes it, where every team keeps a handful of guys, and then there's a redistribution uh, draft, like a one-round redistribution draft, and people keep another handful of guys, and then there's another redistribution draft. So you're not going to be able to keep, like, your 20 best players um, year to year. Uh, you'll be able to keep a, a good chunk of those players. But um, there's just lot, all these different mechanisms in the Constitution. It's it's quite complicated. I think the best the best way uh, to understand it is to, to read the Constitution that's available um, on my Twitter and on Fred Sayer's Twitter, Jesse's Ian's. Um, but uh, yeah, we we ended up taking applications for that league, and we got uh, 120 applications, and so that was a really you know nice um, kind of feedback um, for us, just that that so many people wanted to be in the league, and it allowed us to really kind of get down to a, a bunch of owners that we thought would be great, and we we still haven't finalized everything yet, but um, the whole point was to start a league um full of people that create dynasty content uh and are also really good players and really want to be in the league um it's a there is a buy-in it's it's a hundred dollars but uh 50 percent of that buy-in goes to the league winners charity of their choice every year so that's that's kind of a cool wrinkle as well um so yeah i mean i'm really excited about it i think the the draft will probably get underway here in the in about a week or so. I mean, we don't have much time, obviously, the opening day right around the corner. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been it's been fun, and I'm really looking forward to
0: it. Yeah, absolutely, and I think the thing, you know, I had applied myself, I haven't heard back yet, uh, <laughs> regardless of what comes of that. I'm really excited to sort of follow along, um, simply because I thought that um, some of the stipulations that you mentioned were almost like franchise tags, but they were like different sort of silos for, we'll say, different players at different points in career, prospects, guys who get forced up, all that sort of stuff. And I thought that was a really interesting wrinkle because it almost made you make decisions the way a major league team would um, for an expansion draft or, you know, for the rule five and, and some of those things that you had to sort of manage your roster and then look a few years down the road. I want to take that and sort of jump into our next part of the discussion, more of a general discussion between the three of us. I just finished um, my first time doing a a full dynasty rank. I've done prospect ranks, you know, on the real baseball side. And then of course on uh, the fantasy side for years now, but I've never really put all of my rankings with MLB and all that sort of thing together. I know you've done that before. You have a lot of experience with it. Um, You know, Matt certainly done it for, you know, his internal purposes for leagues and that sort of thing. But the question that I think I tackled at the beginning and then tried to work off of was like what's the window that i'm focusing on here from a value perspective because when you look at dynasty and i did some open universe stuff you could look at it from a two-year window all the way out to like seven eight years if you really wanted to um i felt like i i focused on a three-year window You know, I tried to take the numbers that I could get, even if it was like Zip's projections for, you know, for 22, 23, 24, kind of value that a little bit and just look at different things. So I tried to focus on like a three-year window when I put my rankings together. How do you guys look at it? I'll go to James first and then over to Matt. Like when you're going into a dynasty draft, like what's the window that you're really trying to, you know, cram all of your talent uh, into? Well, if
1: I'm putting together a set of rankings, uh, I'm trying to uh, do the rankings as if it's for a a healthy dynasty league that I expect to be around for more than three years. Uh, But I mean, the way that I rank like prospects, for instance, uh, you know, open universe prospects, I don't, I don't rank them, but if I did, I'm always going to put a major emphasis on how close they are to the majors. And I think that that, that's going to translate into how confident you are in them um, being an everyday player or being a, a rotation pitcher. Um, So, I mean, I think proximity is always going to be stressed um, whenever I'm ranking prospects uh, and then, you know, the better the player, the more likely I am to expect them to hold their skills, you know, into their thirties. So I, I didn't, I, I never had like a, you know, strict like these are for the next three years um, type of thing in, in mind. Um, it's it's kind of more fluid and more uh, player dependent, type of player dependent. But I mean, th- these are really tricky uh, to put together. As as you know, I mean, I can't even imagine doing what you did, Jeff, with a, a thousand players, open universe. Um, like that would that would honestly probably take me months to 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 do <laughs> to to get it to the point where I felt good enough about it to to publish it so um i mean these rankings are extremely tricky uh and the, the thing that i think makes it so tricky is that in the dynasty league there's just going to be all kinds of different teams that are looking for different things right like if you have your your win now teams that are going to trade any any teenage prospect they're going to trade them for something that's going to help them win now um and, and you have your rebuilding teams where, you know, any 30-year-old big leaguer who is still kind of in their prime or near their prime, they're going to be trying to flip that guy for young talent. And then you have your teams that are kind of in the middle where, you know, maybe they're going to be able to contend the following year. And so they're trying to kind of get that that stable talent, um, get their, their holes sort of filled on the position player side and make sure that they have... Uh, the horses to make a run uh, the next year and stuff like that. So it's just, it's tough because you're trying to cater these rankings um, to a bunch of different teams with different strategies and competing interests.
0: Yeah, agree there. And I think, you know, that's the thing when it comes to dynasty rankings, drafting a dynasty team is you, you sort of got to, you got to come up with a focus and how you're going to approach it ahead of time. You know, some of the stuff is always room dependent, but you know, like you said, you know, there's, there's different ways to look at it. There's guys that go all in and they more or less build a redraft team and, you know, maybe backfill with prospects later on in the draft. There's others, and I always think about, you know, um, Tom Trudeau has kind of became like his, <laughs> is, his go-to build. But, like, you know, there was a period like 2017, 18, 19, I can remember doing a ton of drafts with Tom, and it was just, you know, he'd draft the top prospects and young players, like guys under 23 years old, his first 15, 16 picks. And a lot of the time, because he's a great trader, it would work out. I don't think I can do that because I don't think that's that, that plays to my strengths necessarily. Um, especially cons- considering I try to avoid carrying too many prospects because I can get very prospect huggy. So um, that said, Matt, you've been doing this for a long time. You have experience, you know, building different types of fantasy leagues and and that sort of thing. I know, you, you know, um, some of the stuff that you've done, like the Antenau Leagues and that sort of thing, um, are a little bit um, more in-depth in terms of some of the other factors you've got to think about. So that in mind, I wanted to sort of kick it over to you. And how do you look at that window when, when you're at the draft table and you know, you're putting together your rankings and values? Yeah, you guys raise
2: a lot of good points. I think proximity is the number one consideration for me. I mean, especially if you're trying to win in year run, you you have to get the pitchers because it, it's so difficult to to get pitching depth by any other means. Um, you know, reliable, durable, effective starting pitchers are one of the one of the rarest and most valuable commodities. And you know, and then I don't mind placing an emphasis on major leaguers and advanced minor leaguers because I'm I'm pretty comfortable choosing from the, the lower rungs of the minor leagues to fill out a farm system. So I, I you know, in terms of in terms of a startup draft, I'm always kind of prioritizing the value over the next three years. You know, and, be, and before we continue, we should promote that it's the BA Dynasty 1000 is is Jeff's um, 1,100 player deep ranking of Dynasty players, including Open Universe players.
0: <laughs> yes. And uh, James, it did take me over a month to put that together. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's, oh, man. that's crazy, hey, okay. man. And and it was the kind of thing where even the last minute and even now I'm looking at it and like, of course we put it out and, you know, hours later the CBA gets ratified and all these moves have happened over the last week. So I've been updating organizations for everybody. But the tricky thing is like, now I have a list of like 20 guys that I want to re-rank based on (laughs) all these situational things that have happened over the last week, you know, not anything substantial, but it's like, Oh man, it's, it's going to be a bear to maintain, but uh, it's, uh-huh.
1: worth
0: it. it's worth it. I don't, I can jump in at night and just change it. So it's like, it's not a big deal, but uh, yeah, you know, it's one of those things that, like you said, it's uh it's, it's a process, but um, I guess that kind of leads me to my next question. I didn't put this on the, on the slot, but is there a, is there an age group or, or sort of like range where you're like, I'm out. Like, is it, is it 32? Is it 33? Is it 34? I found myself more and more recently being less scared off of guys that could retire in two or three years. Cause sometimes, especially in leagues where there's a keeper element to it, it's an easy cut, right? Like if you're like, all right, this guy is, you know, like Nelson Cruz in two years, isn't going to be playing baseball any longer. He's a much easier cut, you know, than somebody who's whatever, you know, 31 or 32 coming off of Bad year. It's like, all right, it's, it's, or even a, a young prospect. Like, it's easy to make that decision and just be like, all right, well, he's not playing any longer. Like, I feel like there's some value in that. I learned that from the TDBCs that I did with Prospects Live, frankly. um But is that, is that, is, is that something like, is there a point in the drafts where you feel like there's some value for older players? It's like, you know, after pick whatever, 160, 170, 200, 250. Is there a breaking point on certain guys, James?
1: Uh, I generally just try to have like there be kind of a theme to my roster, and you know, you mentioned Devil's Rejects that we're both in. Uh, like Eno and I on our team have Justin Verlander, uh, Charlie Morton. Uh, we just drafted Corey Kluber in that league, so you know, when you're when you have like one of those guys um, or a couple of those guys, I don't think there's anything wrong with just kind of loading up. Um, guys who might only have a couple of years left uh, because you're, you're obviously trying to win in the present and you know that those guys are, are not going to be worth much of anything in, in a couple of years but um, you know it, it, it kind of makes sense in that type of build but I'm also in, I have other teams where probably my entire roster is 30 or younger and I'm trying to kind of hit on players in their like you know, age twenty-three, age twenty-four season that could um, break out and become you know top one hundred and fifty players and guys that I can build around. And I'm not a very active trader uh, in dynasty leagues. Like I, you know, I'll pull off a handful of moves per year probably in each league, but um, it doesn't it doesn't appeal to me to like if I have a really young core like ending up with a guy like Nelson Cruz or, or a guy like Justin Verlander because like I'm just not gonna be that active in trying to flip that player. And so I just I would rather kind of target um similarly valued players who are younger that could just be on my team for a long time. But um I mean I think you gotta you definitely gotta take it sort of team by team basis.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's a big part of it. You know, obviously, is you know if you're if you're skewing really young, you're taking Julio and Bobby Witt and you know uh, young prospects, guys that are just on the cusp of the major leagues. Um, you know, with your early picks in a startup dynasty league, then yeah, it probably doesn't make sense. But you know, if you're if you're skewing more toward late twenties, early thirties, then yeah, I mean, it comes to a point where it's like that guy's going to help me win this year and next year, and you know, there's obviously tremendous value in that also buys you a couple years if you have a if you have a minor leagues to, to backfill stash a guy you hold on to that you feel can be you know a potential contributor especially when a guy's utility right like there's there's some value and flexibility to that um the next question I wanted to jump into here and I feel like I have I'll go last but I have like a very two very specific types of players that I've gravitated toward over the last couple of years particularly on the hitting side um but I'm interested is to like are there Types of players, like a power and speed guy, a hit tool guy, are there types of players that you gravitate toward? I'll go over to Matt first on this one. Um, Just in terms of, you know, I find myself, not that it's all your teams, but like when I take a step back, it feels like I definitely gravitate to prospects that are like this or hitters that young hitters that are like this, because I feel that they can develop into this.
2: Yeah, I've I've been burned so many times by the the power speed players that I, I tend to avoid them if possible and emphasize more um plate discipline metrics um with with power you know power production or power indicators. Uh so i you know and I prefer middle of the field players, especially when they're younger because they can fan out to the corners. Um so yeah, I would I, I definitely gravitate more toward plate discipline, hitting ability with power potential and projection
0: which makes a lot of sense james is there a type that you find yourself going after
1: i i echo a lot of what matt said um i remember i did i did like a startup draft a couple years ago where i sort of had it as a rule uh that i was going to be taking when i was taking hitters I was going to be taking hitters under 28 years old and guys who I thought were quality defenders, guys that were going to add value with their glove, um, to try to buy them um, that developmental time and buy them those point appearances. And, you know, like, I like I gravitate towards like Brian Rocchio types. Um, like I'm, I'm sort of almost trying to find like the next, you know, the next Mookie Betts, the next Ozzy Albies, the next Bo Bichette, like those sort of, you know six foot five eleven up the middle uh really really good hit tool a little bit of power a little bit of speed uh, maybe can grow into to power that might not be present at the time that you're drafting them um those are those are the types of guys that i i tend to end up with with a lot of uh, you know the the guys that are going to strike out a lot um it's not like i'm not going to pick those guys up if i see a guy um breaking out you know in in the lower levels or something like that or even like you know a Joey Weimer type you know I'm not going to be like oh I'm not going to pick him up because he strikes out a lot but I'm not going to prioritize that type of player early in the draft
0: yeah and I know that we had had some conversations offline about this talking about Austin Martin in particular I think last week we had talked a little bit about Louis Matos um kind of similarly in the sense that it's like those advanced hit tools, those guys that have advanced approach like Martin has, and it's kind of like the last piece to the puzzle is adding, we'll say even like average 50 pop, where it's like with all these other supporting skills and the fact that, you know, Martin might be a shortstop, probably probably a, a center fielder, maybe a third baseman, maybe he's a utility guy, but he's going to play like a valuable position. Like he's, he's not a left field only first base guy that's going to get pushed to D.H., And then you have to worry about how he fits in the puzzle. I thought that was, you know, really um, pointed that the point that you made there, that it's like there is value in guys that fit into a defensive role because they got to get into the lineup every day. And defensive value buys you opportunity, even when you're struggling, you know, and that's so big for young players that come up. I mean, we have to think about, you know, the number of great superstars, future MVPs in the history of the game, not even just recently, not even the cliche Mike Trout struggled when he first came up, Dustin Pedroia struggled for a month when he first came up and people wanted Alex Cora to play. And then, you know, by the end of that season he was rookie of the year that an MVP the following year. And I mean, that's just, you know, an example from 15 years ago. And there's been a numerous guys like that since. So I think that, you know, that, that is a really great point because you you need guys that are going to be able to get in the lineup. There's real baseball elements to this that do matter following along on that stuff is true. And, and I agree. I feel like the guys that I've gravitated toward more recently, it's less the power guys. It's less the speed guys. It's more like what's the hit tool. Like, do they chase? Do they make a high rate of contact? Um, And is there some power projection there? Like Xavier Edwards is a, you know, really good hit tool guy. He's got speed, probably going to be a fine second baseman every day. But there's little chance that he's going to develop enough power for him to really hit for impact. And I think that, like, that's the extreme end of the scale. But there's a lot of other guys that sort of fall into that window. Um Robert Hassel is a really good example of a guy that you know has all the other elements. He has some defensive value, but in a few years as that power starts to develop, he can take that next step. And as you said, I think those are the guys that ultimately develop into superstars. So um, good, good, good points there. You know, absolutely. Thank- There's another consideration in that um,
2: shortstop second base center field tend to be young man positions in the major leagues as successful teams will push older players to corners. So -hmm. you definitely, that defensive value does equate there too.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's one of those things that I don't think we probably even bring up. I don't even think I necessarily consider that, but it's true. It's guys age. They move to those corner positions. They might have, you know, weightier contracts they might be veterans and leaders on those teams. So they're not going away. They're not getting DFA'd. They're probably too good for that. But there's areas where, you know, defensively they've slowed down and they can move. That's kind of what's happening with Mike Trout now, right? With I was just going to say we have, we, have, the center.
2: we have the example in Anaheim with Marsh and Trout. Yes.
0: <laughs> you know, and no one's, no one's going to say that uh, Brandon Marsh is uh, the better offensive player, obviously. No questions there. Um, next one I wanted to sort of bring up, I'll go to James first on this one. There's a sea of prospects and veterans out there. How do you equate the value of prospects among veterans? I felt like that was the trickiest thing, even more so than like the open universe stuff. It's easy to kind of, it's easy for me to weigh like Dylan Cruz when I watch him versus an A-ball, you know, right fielder or center fielder. Cause it's like, all right, like I think Cruz could do that. Probably do it another level above where, you know, when you're talking about a really, exciting, prodigious hitter at 19 years old versus, you know, a 27 or 28 year old vet um, that maybe has some, some signs of, you know, he's going to be on the downswing in the next couple of years. Like, how do you weigh that? Um, What are the things that you're looking at? And, you know, is it an innate gut thing or are there certain metrics of stuff that you're looking at and trying to weigh the two?
1: You know, I I love ranking prospects. Um, like updating my top 400 prospect rankings is my favorite part of my job. Uh, doing the dynasty rankings is honestly probably my least favorite part of my job, uh, for this exact reason. And I've I ia couple of years ago I sort of instituted a rule on my prospect rankings where. Uh, guys who sign as international free agents who are over the age of 24 are not eligible for my prospect rankings because I just, am not going to rank say a Suzuki next to a bunch of prospects. who so I just think it's apples to oranges. Um, now with the dynasty rankings, it's, you know, a lot of it is just kind of put yourself in the shoes of the contending team and the rebuilding team and think about, You know, if I'm trading like Nick Castellanos and I'm looking for a prospect, you know, who's the prospect? Like what range of prospect am I willing to accept um, for that veteran hitter? And then hopefully you can maybe kind of slot those guys in like kind of amongst each other, sort of like a cluster of veterans that you would trade for a grouping of prospects Um, I mean, that's really kind of the best way you can do it. It's just, it's so imperfect. And uh, during like early years of the pandemic, uh, I did a set of uh, rankings for rebuilding teams and for contending teams. And I thought that that was a lot easier to kind of put together. Um, If you just did a set of dynasty rankings um, from the view of a team that's trying to win over the next year or two, and then you just did a set of dynasty rankings from a team that's trying to contend in like three years. Um, those are a lot easier to put together because there's sort of a theme and a, and a common uh, set of values that you're looking for. But just doing those general dynasty rankings, I mean, it's just, it's so tough and you know, you're never going to be sort of happy with the, the finished product. Like you know, I, I could go in, and do it, do a set of rankings and then look at it 24 hours later and want to change a bunch of stuff, you know, it's just, it's it's never going to feel uh, complete or, or perfect and, you know, it just kind of is what it is.
0: That's my favorite part about doing the Dynasty rankings is looking at it like 24 or 48 hours after I like really felt really good about something and I reviewed it 12 times and then shot it over to like, you know, whoever, my trusted circle, and then go back to it two days later and be like, what the heck was I thinking here? Like, why is, why is this guy here? He needs to move down like 50 or 60 spots. Um, I looked at it yesterday and I was like, why? Like I was looking at my rankings. I was like, why is Andrew McCutcheon inside the top 500? Like what was, <laughs> and it's like, it's like you're, you're constantly readjusting. So yeah, I think and that's.
1: I'll put it, like, I'll put it up on the site and then I'll have like an article to go with it. And one of the you know commenters will be like, what? why do you have this guy um, at this spot? And I'll just be like, nope, you're right. Like, uh, he shouldn't be there. Uh, he, should, he should be over
2: here.
0: <laughs> like, you know, it's just... I had Matt to help me out there where he shot me over a bunch of names and he
3: was like, hey, what about
0: this guy? What about this guy? And then I had done like a, a sleeper ranking and was like, hey, I got to...
3: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. done.
0: Make sure that these guys are ranked, you know, aggressively um, within my rankings if I'm going to hype them up. So I adjusted some of those ranks before it went live too. So I, I totally get that. Um, that's a difficulty. And then um, Matt, before we move on to the next one, I wanted to sort of ask you too, like, you know, you got some experience with this too. So like, how how are you weighing prospects versus veterans um whether it's at the draft table or you know assessing it for trades and i know a lot of it obviously is going to be specific to your your current build and you know your competitive window um with a specific team yeah i'm on the same page with you guys i think you got to go for proximity or you got to go for absolute upside yeah i think i think you know ultimately that's what it is, is you have to there's no half measures really it's really tough to be like oh, I'm gonna have a competitive team and also have like a really young good core mm-hmm. like I, I I feel like I, I did that when I built that RDI draft and like it set me back for like a year and a half um and then I got really lucky in 2020 that a bunch of guys like were performing <laughs> and then I traded this is a great one I had was Ray Butler and I managed this team and I traded Wander Franco for Keston Hira
3: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to do it and Ray was like we need to do it
0: we're competitive we can finish in the top three I think we finished fourth honestly I can't remember um but but we made that trade and like a year later I was like Thank God that that league could collapse well, because otherwise, like I would have, I would have had to own that, and that's not fun. <laughs> that's I mean,
1: cool. you gotta like that that league. Like I was the commissioner of that league, and I I uh, decided to fold it. Uh, but like that that league's a great example of um, you know why you should value um, proximity. It, like it just kind of get a read of like is this league likely to be around for 10 years? Is it likely to be around for five years? Because Tom Trudeau did that all prospect strategy in that league Mm -hmm. and it folded before he was even close to like, you know, putting it all together. Right. So he basically wasted three years on that strategy Mm -hmm. and never got to see it out. Um, You know, I think obviously you would, you certainly would regret that Franco Hira trade long-term, but you know, maybe Ray was right in the idea of, you know, let's get this, this guy who could help us right now. Um, yep. You know, maybe the evaluation on Hero was wrong, but maybe the idea of the process was, was solid.
0: Yeah. And I think it was who was available and all that too. So there was an element of that there, but yeah. And I think on the opposite side, I, I swear, I think it was Ian Khan that I had spoke with a year ago where He was talking about some big money dynasty league that him and Brett entered. And there was like a substantial buy-in and everybody tried to get a rebuilding team. And his approach to it was like, we had all these prospects that were just falling down the board and guys that, you know, potentially could have contributed within a year or so for his team. And he was like, do you think it's like, that's the approach? And it honestly seems like sometimes, you know, that's one of those, situations where you read the room and you kind of look at it and you go, this is, you know, this is what the market inefficiency is here. It's like, there's, because everyone's so trying to win, they're so concerned about get the, getting their money back that maybe they're, they're letting a lot of talent and the opportunity to build a really good foundation that, you know, projects well for three, four five years of sustainable success that you know, sometimes it's better to take that step back and then rebuild, which, you know, I don't think you always necessarily see that because there's, Rarely that big of a money buy in element. And I think that's some of the, some of the, uh, uh, goes back to some of the point that you had mentioned earlier of like, you know, the pride element of dynasty and it's a longer strategy and just for whatever reason, it doesn't get the competitive nature that you get in like a tout wars or labor or some of those other leagues where it is, you know, industry specific and, and heavily focused on what you can do. Um, Last one I'm going to mention here sort of in the general dynasty discussion before we we go to some some quick hitter stuff. Um, new rule changes, universal DH uh, is one of them. Another one is the shifting rules. Has that impacted values for you guys? I'll go over to Matt first. Has that impacted values for you guys on particular players um, or is it not?
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. It It, it opens up roughly – I think 9,000 plate appearances for position players in the National League. I mean, it's going to have a, a pretty huge effect on uh, playing time projections. So, you know, and, and conversely, it does raise the ERA standard in the league a little bit. So you, you no longer get such a surplus value from National League starters.
0: Unless you're in the NL Central and then you get yeah. <laughs> significant surplus value because you have the Pirates and the <laughs> Reds. and I was going
2: to say the that- yeah, those front offices should be fired in St. Louis and Milwaukee if they don't make the playoffs with 16s. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I think I hear that every single year from the Cardinals fans, uh, Matt Thompson in particular. But James, you're you're a Brewers fan, so this is good for you. But what are your takeaways on um, the new rule changes, and are there any players that come to mind that you're willing to share? That you feel get a value boost, whether it's the DH or even on the shifting side, maybe both.
1: You know the the shifting element. Uh, I haven't really factored that in yet, uh, just because i I just want to see how it sort of evolves. Like, I don't think we can really know um, with any kind of certainty uh, how much it's going to help or hurt. Uh, the value of players until it's actually implemented. Um, Obviously, I think, you know, Matt nailed it with a slight downgrade to NL starting pitchers across the board. Uh, Like, to me, I'm kind of thinking of, you know, who are the top 20 or so uh, designated hitters in the game and I'm just going to kind of assume that within the next year or so, they're all going to sort of find their way into everyday playing time. And I think a really good example of that is uh, the two guys in New York, Dominic Smith and JD Davis. Uh-huh. Um, like, I, I think it might not happen right away this season. Obviously, they, they still have Robinson Cano there. Uh, you would have loved for them to have you know, made a move to, to free one of those guys up, or maybe move both of them up uh, after the lockout. We're still kind of waiting on that. But I just, I think like JD Davis is just too good of a hitter against righties and lefties to be stuck in this sort of like 300 plate appearance role. Uh, now that, now that there are 30 DH slots across baseball, I just, I have to believe that there's going to be a way for him to get involved um, in kind of more of like a 500, 550 plate appearance range within the next year or so. So like when I'm doing the dynasty, a set of the dynasty rankings, I'm not necessarily focused on, you know, there's no playing time for him on opening day of 2022. I I have to believe there's going to be playing time for him um, within the next year or so. And, the, you know, there's a handful of other guys like that. Um, you know, like the the Marlins sort of had uh, the Garrett Cooper, Jesus Aguilar, sort of log in. I think that that kind of, kind of frees that up a little bit. Um, you know, the, there's teams like the Dodgers where you probably just don't assume they're going to go with a, a steady DH because they just have too much talent. Um, there are too many guys that, that needed that. So they're just going to cycle guys in and out. And I mean, I think that's what most of the very best teams are going to do is they're just going to use the DH spot as a way to get guys rest. Uh, But on on some other teams, it is going to be kind of an obvious, like this guy clearly uh, just put him in the DH slot, forget about it. And that's, it's great having 15 more of those.
0: I will say that this kind of contradicts something that we said a few minutes ago, but it probably boosts some of those positionless guys that can hit in the minor leagues a little bit more. There's more opportunity for those guys. I still think that they're up against it a little bit. Um, This is the point that I was going to make that it has me boosting a lot of guys that maybe we're like utility players and we're filling into a bunch of different positions, it now opens that up. I think the Dodgers are probably a good example where now there's this other spot that guy can see, You know, let's say he was gonna see 350 to 400 plate appearances anyway, maybe now he sees above 500 and that can be a significant boost in value, especially when we're talking about counting stats and that sort of stuff, um, when we're you know calculating out roto values and that sort of thing. Interesting. All right. I think those are uh, all good topics. Let's wrap it up here. We don't want to keep you too much longer, James. We appreciate that you came on. Um, I gave some of these some silly names. These are some prospect questions. They're not really (laughs) great names, but it's just kind of, you know, going off of last year. I'm going to call this one the Prado Melendez Award. James, and I'll go over to Matt. Name a prospect that you like as a bounce back after a rough 2021 season. James, you're first on the hot seat.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I, I mentioned this to you as sort of off-air, but I, I think this is just going to be tough, right, because the whole idea behind it being Nick Prado and Jenalenda's thing is nobody's going to see this player coming, most likely. Uh, you know, it's – I people, you know, numbers scouting, stat scouting gets, gets a bad rap, but uh, if you're going to be a really good big-league hitter, chances are you're not going to face a ton of resistance in the minor leagues. Uh, and so I think that for the most part, like I was looking through my my top like 200 or so prospects. Most of them had pretty solid years in the minors last year, um, especially the hitters. Uh, but I'm going to go with uh, Pedro Leon with the Astros. And last year was his first season in pro ball um, stateside. so. You know, having a a bounce back year um, just from his one year, uh, maybe doesn't quite um, fit the spirit of this question, but uh, I just think he's going to be better this year at AAA than a lot of people expect he will be. Uh, there was just a lot kind of going on uh, context wise with him last year. Uh, you know, he he obviously had a ton of rust to knock off having not played in uh, competitive games for multiple years before last season he gets sent to double a where the, the pitching is is pretty solid um had a really really rough uh first like six weeks or so uh then he really started hitting his stride um had a, had a really nice uh six seven weeks then he suffered an injury uh was bad at triple a was um, mediocre in the Arizona Fall League I and mean, he took his walks I think he had like a 360 OBP there but in general I don't think he impressed many people in the Arizona Fall League but um, I'm I'm still a believer in Pedro Leon uh, being a, an everyday player um, for the Astros I think his his swing um, his pull side power is just a perfect fit in Houston I think he can kind of uh, follow that Altuve, Bregman path as a guy that that gets more out of his power with the Astros than he would in another organization, and then he's he's a he's a good runner. Um, he can play multiple positions, so uh, I think there's there's still a lot to like there. Even though I know a lot of scouts, a lot of people that, that rank for for dynasty are down on him Yeah,
0: and I think you know everything that you said is is true. Um, he started really rough, um, came on over yeah like you know just about two months then suffered an injury I think the other thing too um you know you mentioned the time off the rust there um the somewhat aggressive assignment and the expectations he also played you know two difficult positions he was split in time between shortstop and center field um you know and all the elements that go along with that uh So yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting as to, you know, um, how he shakes out. He didn't look good for me in AFL. Uh, he was passive at times. He missed on a lot of stuff in zone, but it's a long season. He was coming off of an injury. So that's a good one. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that one at all. Um, Matt, I'm going to go over to you. Do you have a breakout?
2: Yeah. I like that pick by James. I, um, I focused my search on a, on upper level guys. Um, I identified a couple of A center fielders who I think have more upside to reach. Um, Christian Pache with Oakland now, I think free of the expectations, you know, that he had with the Braves and getting a new, getting some new voices, change of scenery. I think he's a good, a good bet to realize more of his potential. And um, Leody Tavares of the Rangers, just the plate discipline, plate discipline metrics are strong. He started to show a little bit late in the year last year. Those would be two guys I would be expecting more from.
0: Yeah, I like both of those um, for sure. And the OD was kind of funny. It was like, you completely write the guy off after it felt like he was overranked for years. And now he's going to pop back up and, you know, remind you that, Hey, there's talent here. I could be something. And there's opportunity there too. So uh, I'm interested there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, the one that I'm going to throw out there is uh, JJ Bleday had a terrible season last year. Um, you know, I don't think that, there's any way to sort of justify it, uh, in any way, shape or form. But I will say, you know, digging into some of the underlying metrics, um, the plate discipline, the contact, some of that stuff wasn't so bad. You know, what I saw in the AFL, um, for a week, he hit for power. He showed it in batting practice. You know, I know that there was some stuff, some adjustments that he made with, you know, timing and stuff in the swing. Um, I know the other thing is he never drives the ball like up the middle of the field, which I know a couple of scouts had brought to me, uh, brought up to me in conversations we were watching him. One of the funny ones mm-hmm. was we were saying that he goes like, it wasn't like pole to pole power, it was like pole and pole power. Like he either goes like tight, tight pull side or he goes like tight up opposite field, you mm-hmm. know? like nothing in the middle of the field, which is kind of strange, you know. Um, it's almost as if he's either behind or a little bit ahead. Um, but I think a lot of it was timing. I wonder how much of it was Pensacola. I think people got to keep this in mind. Um, that's a ballpark that is in the middle of the ocean. It is surrounded by water on three sides. From what I've heard from guys that have played there, a couple of hitters that were there this year within the Marlins organization and some pitchers that I've spoke with over the last month or two, that there is some fluky stuff with wind patterns on uh, any given day. So, you know, if, if it's the kind of thing where it's consistently blowing in from, from, uh, from right field, you know, a pull side power guy like blade could potentially knock down some of those drives. So I know Royce Lewis was another guy that struggled tremendously when he was in Pen- Pensacola, went to the AFL and was similar to J.J. Blade, where he had this great season. Let's hope that Blade doesn't have the same injury uh, uh, luck that Lewis had following that breakout at the AFL. But he's a guy that still has defensive value. I think the Marlins need a guy like this. Um and has some proximity. He spent a full season in double-A. Um, the Marlins are kind of on the precipice of being competitive. There's some competitive elements, elements, but they certainly need, um, you know, more strength in that lineup, more power, um, and somebody that could develop into an everyday guy, you know, even if it's just a 50-corner outfielder. I think there's some value in that. So based on where he's sort of dropped down to, I feel like Blede could bounce back a little bit.
1: I like your point about, uh, Pensacola. Um, I, I saw a game there in, uh, 2017, uh, when the Reds, um, were calling Pensacola home and it was, uh, Nick Senzel versus Mike Soroka that day. So it was a a fun game to be at, but, um, I mean, it's a, it's an absolutely beautiful park uh, with the ocean in the background there, but I mean, yeah, I think it's, it's very, um, wise to kind of point that out with regards to both the day and the food
0: i asked i asked marlin's people about it i asked a couple of other um coaches about it um that were with the organization and I, they kind of papooted. i don't think anybody necessarily wanted to address it but i honestly would be just interested to see if there's if there's like power alleys there if you know i know verdict didn't have a bad season there but it's like hey if you hit the ball to you know, left center, you'll get the, you'll get the, 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 carry there. But if you're hitting the ball to right center, then you're definitely not, you know, the, the wind comes in off of whatever like this, some of those, those elemental things I think are, are always stuff that gets overlooked um, with certain parks and things like that. I know it was like with, with Julio and like Arkansas um you know, it's a really bad part for like right-handed power I know people bring up his home run totals, and I always kind of wonder, like, how much of a of a a factor was that into some of those numbers? You know, stuff is fluky. I think sometimes, like, that's the stuff with number scouting that can get, um, you know, a little tricky. Is like, how different is you know, 30 points of of slug, or you know, 15 extra base hits? If you know there was some other factor in there that we can't, even the pitching in a given league, it's it's tough to measure some of that stuff. Next question I want to throw out there is a little bit different. But um, sort of a younger prospect, is there a guy, I'll throw over to Matt first, that you feel is going to be a breakout this year? Didn't have a bad year, but maybe somebody that you feel is going to jump from maybe outside the top 100 into the top 100. Somebody that's maybe off the radar entirely that drops that jumps into the top 250. Could even be someone at the back of a top 100 that you think could drop, um, jump into a top 50. So, Matt, I'll send that one over to you. Um, who's your breakout for for 2022? I'm really intrigued by what James Triantos can do. Uh, the
2: Cubs shortstop, good debut in Arizona, kind of a less heralded draft prospect, but one with some late helium. Um, good athlete, two way player, although his position is in question in pro ball. Um, but I, I like what we've seen so far, and some of what I've, some of what we've heard from scouts and read. I like him. Um, Evan Carter of the Rangers would be another potential younger. Breakout
0: prospect guy because he just has the potential for, for the five tools. Yeah. Great play discipline, too. Nobody takes as many pitches in the minor leagues as, as Evan Carter. <laughs> <did>. <laughs> if you get some, rid of some of that passivity, too, it's one of those things where like you could see the power and some of the impact start to come. So, James, I'll kick it back over to you. Um, who's your breakout guy for 2022?
1: Uh, I'll go with another Cub and, uh, say, Kevin Alcantara. Um, mm. He's a guy that I was sort of late to buy in on. Uh, I kind of had a, a bias against him uh, due to his his height. And, uh, you know, he, he hadn't really uh, wowed anyone in, in 2019 with anything he did on the field. Obviously, he was out of sight, out of mind in 2020. Uh, and he was one of the older, you know, super legitimate prospects in the, the Arizona complex league last year. Usually the, those guys are you know, a young 18. He was a, an old 18 and I believe he turned 19 in uh, July. Um, but I just think he, he looks the part, like the more video I watch of him, uh, the more impressed I am and, um, uh, there's, there's always going to be some sort there, I think, but, uh, he's the type of guy where, you know, send him below a, if he's, if he's striking out around 25% of the time or better, uh, I think he's going to put up some pretty, uh, pretty impressive numbers. So, um, I could see him climbing well inside my top 50 and then, uh, just a, a, a quick bonus one for for someone who might be out there in some leagues. I think uh, I think Ricky Vanasco is going to break out on the pitching mm-hmm. side um, in his first year back from time John surgery with the Rangers.
0: Yeah, and we've heard similar stuff um, from the Rangers organization that you know Vanasco is a guy that's come up in trades, and they've been um, less interested in potentially moving him or trading him. Um, I'm going to give a, a, a younger one here. Uh, a guy that I had gotten good reports from uh, my good friend, Joe Drake, who's now with the Orioles. Um, but Kalai, uh, Rosario, who was, uh, twins, 2020, um, fifth round draft pick, uh, out of, uh, uh, high school in, in, in Hawaii actually. And he had a really interesting year. The numbers weren't bad, um, on the, uh, in the FCL, 277, 341, 452, um, Strikes out a little bit. There's definitely some swing and miss, but it's not the kind of thing that I think is going to kill his game. He's got some, he's got plus raw power. The underlying metrics on his power numbers are really good. Um, And if we remember a lot of those, those uh, FCL parks and, and um, you know, just uh, spring training parks are typically not great for power outside of Dunedin. Um, So I think that, you know, that sort of plays into this too, that I think, you know, had he been in a better hitting park, the numbers might have been even better. Um, There's definitely some swing and miss there, but it's not, it's kind of on the line of being passable. He's just, he's fringe average. He's just below average. He rarely chases. He makes good decisions on the pitches. He does go after. Um, Not great to see anybody uh, striking out at 30% on the complex. Um, But I do think some of that stuff, you know, the fact that he was so young, this was his first case or his first, taste of uh, uh, professional baseball because he was a 2020 draft pick. So I'm willing to throw some of that stuff out there. Other one I'm going to throw out there too, is uh, one of my favorite players in the draft last year from the college side of things. That's Ryan bliss, who was a uh, undersized shortstop from Auburn. Um, it's like my second time, I swear to God, I'm not like a, a Red Sox homer. It's the second time bringing up Justin Pedroya. He reminds me of Pedroya. You watch, it's like this big right-handed swing. He swings from his shoes. Um, you know, there's there's a ton of loft in the bat path, but he's got the ability to adjust and hit high fastballs. He had some of the best numbers I've seen in synergy over the last three years against uh, fastballs, 93 miles per hour or harder. So he can hit velocity. Um, he's undersized, probably stretched a little bit in terms of range at shortstop, but he could be a tremendous second baseman. There's power there. He can run. Um, there's approach. I'm a big Ryan bliss guy. I know he took, you know, an underslot bonus in the second round. um, But I do think he's a guy that could over overachieve and be, you know, an everyday second baseman with some offensive uh, power there. So um, he's a guy that I think could take a big jump this year. He's outside, I think probably a most, you know, top 300s and probably even some prospect, you know, 400 to 500s have to look where I have him right personally. Um, but I do think he could move into like the top 150, maybe the back end of a top 100, depending upon how well he performs this year. And he is a guy that saw, you know, a substantial amount of at-bats and full season ball at the end of last season. So, um, you know, I think that speaks to where where the organization views him. Um, all right. Last question. I'll throw it over to James and over to Matt. We'll wrap this up. James, who's your most rostered prospect so far this season or even coming into the year?
1: Uh- for Dynasty, probably Dustin Harris. Um, for for Redraft, probably Cody Morris. Um, All right. I like that. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I kind of did a, a deep dive on Dustin Harris uh, midway through last year. Um, was kind of fell in love with him and just was able to add him in pretty much every Dynasty league at that point. That was sort of before. You know obviously, the numbers were impressive, but I don't think people were really kind of taking him seriously at that point, so he was out yeah. there in in all my leagues and so I have him have him pretty much everywhere and then uh yeah Cody Morris more kind of dig in on on his uh pitches and performance i just I think people are really kind of sleeping on the fact that he is uh, as good as almost every could prospect in the game.
0: Yeah. I know we've had that conversation offline. It's like, I think for redraft, he's a, he's probably a top five or six pitching prospect just for, you know, guys that are kind of come up, have the opportunity to not only see innings, but ultimately be in a really successful um, situation. And I think that, that Morris is a good one. But when I wrote this question, I said, James is going to say either Dustin Harris or Gavin Stone. So I got I got <laughs> there um, and both prospects that are great. And I think, you know, um, you did a good job hitting on those guys. Matt, who's your most rostered prospect? I have a lot of shares of, of Triantos, Jeremy Pena,
2: Peyton Burdick, Vinny Pasquantino, guys like that. But you can't really get discounts on those guys in startups, I think. Where I go in that format is um, with a couple of DSL shortstops. Yep. Carlos Jorge of the Reds. Uh, very dynamic left-handed hitter with speed. Chance for near average power. Uh, and Christian Santana of the Tigers who has already shown very, very encouraging power output and has a manageable strikeout rate and is definitely going to be um, a player who could rise up
0: boards this year. Do you have both of those guys in your battle league? I do, yes.
2: <laughs> nice.
0: I was looking at my battle too. And and that's where I I pull. I think my guy this year, it's probably like as Cabrera um, or Aaron Zavala. I own a ton of both of those guys. And a lot of it was digging into the numbers on the hit tool side of things. um, And just looking at guys that like had good approach, had good contact skills, watching at bats and being like, all right, you know, these guys are identifying pitches. They're recognizing what's coming in. And they both have some, some raw power, like some of the underlying um, you know exit data is really good when I dug in on both of them. So they're both guys that you know, I, I have rostered all over the place, and then I think Josh Smith from Texas is another one, um, just because I think that there's some way, shape or form that he could potentially factor into that infield this year uh, after the Josh Young News unfortunately came about, got that, and then in redraft it's Jeremy Pena. And um, I'm very nervous uh, that Jeremy Pena, (laughs) within a few hours, may not have a a starting job to jump into like I had suspected. So uh, silly me for, you know, expecting the Astros not to go out and get another shortstop. But yes, uh, that's probably my most rostered guys. Uh, Anything else, Matt or James, you wanted to promote or mention here um, before we wrap the show up?
1: Uh I don't I don't really have uh, much. I mean if you uh if you're new to uh Rotowire, I mean you can go get a free ten day trial, uh rotawire.com slash podcast, uh, check out the, the rankings. I'll be doing a big update to the uh, top 400 prospect rankings and my dynasty rankings uh, shortly before opening day. So uh keep an eye out for that. But uh you know, other than that, I just really appreciate you guys having me on.
0: Yeah, same here, man. It's uh, it's always great to have you on, and you know, you're somebody that uh, is a colleague here in the industry, but also somebody I consider a friend and uh, someone whose value I uh, or opinion I value greatly. Uh, Matt, also a friend and someone whose opinion I value greatly. Anything you want to throw out there or promote before we wrap this up? Uh, we have our BA Dynasty 1000. You know, Google
2: that. Um, but I would also echo what James said: RotoWire subscription, well worth it. Make sure you check out the My Leagues feature so you can get yes. a customizable. And, and Jeff actually um,
0: hipped me to the, my leagues. So I was able to make use of it. Great feature. I, I think it's one of the best features out there. You can plug your leagues in, you can search who's available in your leagues. Um, so I, you know, and, and my thing is, and even if you're not going to follow James's rankings, you know, to the letter, it's really great to be able to look at it and, and look at the full board. And James does a great job of including all the right guys and just saying, all right, this guy's available. This guy's available. All right. Who do I want? What fits best for my team? Um, and it cuts back that whole, like, what used to be like that 20, 30, 40-minute period where you're searching through the you know, you're know, searching right. through the waiver wire, you're looking at the player mm-hmm. pool, who's available, who fits, and you're making a list on the side. It's like it cuts all that down. I think it's a great tool, and I really appreciate that. And as I always say here as we wrap this up, guys, remember this is Fantasy Baseball. Have some fun.
1: Thanks for tuning in.